friends, um, it's a joy to come and serve you this morning, mainly because um, it's been quite humbling to reflect on God's Word this week, um, in particular with the context that we're facing as a nation uh, and as a people. Um, so, uh, if you're visiting Canberra Gardens, a very special welcome to you. Uh, it's great to have you here with us. Um, we, as a church, have been going through uh, what we call kind of like essentials or basic truths um, of um, the Christian faith. Um, a couple of reasons why we've been doing that is to, to, to get us to kind of get back to the basics of what the Christian faith is about. Uh, and the other reason as well, it is part of a significant event that has shaped all of really particularly Protestant Christian history. Um, and we've been looking at particularly someone by the name of Martin Luther, and we've been uh, remembering some of uh, the things that he's done and what he stood for. We've been um, getting back to the basics, but the thing is, what, it, what they came up with wasn't something new. In many ways, what they were doing were, was rediscovering. What they did was they went back to the Bible, what the Bible has to say about these particular truths. We've been unpacking what does it mean to be a people of, who believes in Scripture alone, where the Bible is the final authority both to life and describing who God is. We've been exploring what grace alone is. That grace is a reminder, it's about God's favor. It's actually not by works. We were reminded last week by Nathan when he talked about Christ alone, that Christ is the Lord, and he is king alone, not a governing church or at that time the Pope and the religious elite. This morning we're looking at the, the, the whole idea of faith alone, otherwise known as sola fide. So to do that, we're going to go back to the Bible. So if you've got your Bible, if you could turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, particularly if you haven't been to a church service for a long time, maybe you're exploring the Christian faith, we're really glad that you're here with us. Maybe you've never had a Bible, please grab one here. We'd love for you to have that as a gift. Turn to the person next to you if you don't have one. We're going to be um, going to Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Here is God's word. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things which are in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the privilege to come and to continue this time of worship. God, this morning I ask that you would free us. For those of us who are in an air of self-condemnation, that you would free us with this truth of faith alone. For those of us who may, whether deliberately or unintentionally, added to the gospel, you remind us again about faith alone. Jesus, as we've been singing, our greatest prayer is that you are front and center. That it is about you and it is about your glory. 
Now I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, through you alone, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, two things we hope to cover. One, the history of faith alone. And secondly, the call of faith alone. So, the history of faith alone. In the verses that we've read, just read, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. It's kind of part of where modern-day Turkey is. He's writing to them. He knows this church really well. He planted this church. You can read about it in Acts 16. And he's talking, and he's very adamant and very deliberately reminding this church about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. In chapter 1 and verse 6, he reminds them the grace of Christ. Now, he's planted the gospel in this church. It's flourishing, and like often... A group of people come along and they start telling these uh, people in the Galatian churches, hey, it's true, yes, it's great that you believe in this Jesus, uh, but remember, Jesus is Jewish, which means you need to start believing and practicing some of the things that he would have. If you want to be truly to that, in particular, in this context, they were talking about circumcision, particularly the men. And he's arguing against them. And what he says to this church is that ultimately what you're doing now, the gospel that I proclaim to you about faith, and now you're adding to the gospel, now actually believing in a different gospel. He is quite openly rebuking the church for embracing this false gospel. And then he continues in journey and talking about his testimony, and there was this argument about should we believe in this Paul, who has he really got any apostle sort of... Um, um, you know, authority, and, and he talks about that and his own conviction and his testimony, and then he talks about his issues with Peter and confronting him. And in chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, he makes it very clear to this group of churches that the law does not make someone right standing with a holy God. There's only faith alone in Jesus that does it. It's actually this language, the English Bible is not very helpful in the translation. What it's saying is, it's actually Jesus' faithfulness, his righteous holy work, his life, his death, his resurrection, that makes somebody right with God. The obvious question is, how? Talking about Jesus' faithfulness, Christians use a language called justification, justified. Made right with God is what it means. The language is coming out of a, if you can picture a courtroom. Back in the 90s, there was a guy by the name of Joshua Harris. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. How many of you read that? Oh, yeah. It's a terrible book. For me, it made me scared of girls. <laughs> so if you read that, it was helpful for you, good. That's wonderful. But he had this wonderful illustration. The illustration was, if you can imagine, you're in a room. And in a room is a bunch of filing cabinets. If you're younger, that means imagine you're in a room that is like the cloud-based system. And all the files you've ever seen and done, everything that you've ever experienced, good, bad, things that you should have done but didn't do, because it was expected of you as a follower of Jesus, things that you did you shouldn't have, all the records are there. 
And in this room, this person, particularly being a man, he looks at these little cards in this filing cabinet. Some are really happy memories. But then there are these memories that he's very ashamed of. How many times he shared the gospel. How he looked at a woman lustfully. And so what he does is he realizes the record of his life and he wants to grab it and he wants to rip it apart and throw it away. But every time he rips it apart, nothing, it just goes back in, it's still there. And he falls down onto the floor and he wants to get away, but he's chained to this group of files and he can't run away. And all of a sudden he feels someone's presence in that room and this is a picture of this person who's meant to be pretending to be Jesus steps in. And Jesus looks at these records and this guy's ashamed and he's crying. And Jesus, this character playing Jesus, comes up to him and holds him and cries with him. And he goes back to the filing cabinet, pulls it open, looks at the sort of all the records and sees that man's name on it. He writes his own name over that man's name with his blood. It's a vivid picture of this idea of being justified. That anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that the Father raised him from the dead, that means they are justified. The verdict has been passed. So there is a requirement from a holy God. But see, for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, there's now a new declaration that they are not guilty. And this not guilty is not just for that moment when they give their life to Christ. It's like a song that sings for all eternity. And the image that Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 is this picture of someone who's been crucified with Jesus in their body and they die. Verse 20 of chapter 2 continues and says, that because of Jesus' faithfulness, now those who put their faith in Jesus live in the body in love and sacrifice. This is to bring freedom, but it is also an eternal declaration. It's a verdict, particularly for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. This means the language of the Bible is you've been made righteous. And Paul is arguing, he's making quite aggressive, saying that you cannot be righteous by doing all the things in the law. Because if you were able to do that, there is no point in Jesus coming into this world. Absolutely pointless. There's no point for him to die on a cross. But what the law does is, it shows God's standard for holiness. It shows what God requires. It shows how guilty a person is. But what they need is grace. And they can all be bought through Jesus Christ. See, we could go to a lot of places here. But we need to understand in the time of the Reformation that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, what they did was they rediscovered these truths. They went back to the Bible and tried to see what the Bible actually says. And this is where this term of faith alone came from. And in the verses that we just read in chapter 3, verses 10 to 14, what we have in front of us is a history of faith alone, a biblical history of faith alone. Faith alone didn't start at the Reformation. 
but it was a rediscovery of it. The big idea of it actually began, and, and, and Paul says again where it begins in chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, Know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify what we've just talked about, make right with God, the Gentiles by what? By faith. Preached in the gospel. Remember where the gospel has been preached? Beforehand to Abraham. The gospel didn't all of a sudden get preached when Jesus arrived. It's been preached all throughout biblical history. In you shall all the nations be blessed. This is God speaking to Abraham. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, God's plan, salvation plan, was part of this whole faith alone. That from one man, from this one man, all the nations would be blessed. And to show that further, he says to the churches here, verses 10 to 11 of chapter 3, hey, don't rely on this idea of the law and thinking that the law is what will make you right with the holy God. It won't. It won't. See what he says. What does the Lord do? It actually says, Cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. And in this section, Paul starts um, unpacking these Old Testament passages. If you have a physical Bible in front of you, you'll see a little letter, like a small little A, B, C. It's pointing to an Old Testament passage. So Paul's giving you a bit of a history of this faith alone. He points back in Bible history and says, hey, if you're going to do the law, you don't just pick circumcision. You've got to do the whole thing. You can't pick and choose. It's all or nothing. And that means if you're not doing all of it, you're actually under a curse. You're under God's holy judgment. And to even show that their argument of going back to the law is flawed, he um, actually quotes the law again. To this group of churches, it would have been quite confronting, I would imagine. And then he quotes in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. He's grabbing that from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But the powerful language that Paul is using to all of this group of churches is that God's plan of salvation from the beginning of time, when the first humans broke and said, no, we do not want you to be our authority, we will be our own final authority, that created the sin that has pervaded and corrupted everything. And they thought that it could be declared righteous by doing all these things, but what it did, it showed the big gap between them and a holy God. That only real life, real salvation, real staying right before a holy God can all be found in Christ and ultimately in the gospel. To drive that further, he quotes again Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5. He says to them, if you're going to do this, you've got to live by all the weight that is, comes behind the law. You better be doing it all. But what it does, it provides reality as this curse. And you have these beautiful words. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He quotes the law again. There is requirement, there's payment required. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, becomes the cursed one. He takes the place of the Galatian 
church. He takes my place. He takes your place. And in that moment when he cries on the cross, it is finished. The hard work is done. It brings across the wonderful truth that God said to Abraham and promised and said, all the nations will be blessed. Jesus ushers in this reality that promise comes true. You heard last week about Nathan talking about Christ alone. This is wonderful truth is that it is in Christ alone. When you give your life to Jesus in faith, in Christ alone, the Holy Spirit then comes and lives in you in faith and he helps you believe these truths and rest in these truths. Now this is the history, the biblical history of faith alone. But like in every church history, if you keep on reading church history, you see this constantly. And it's been happening even nowadays. Things and people come along to shift and twist and change and add to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. In a sense, it adds to faith alone. So by the time Martin Luther arrives in the scene, the idea of faith alone meant that you're right standing with a holy God how you're justified, made right with God, was something that you gradually achieved. You did that by doing some good things, and that showed in various ways. You could work for it, doing penance. You could pay for it. You could also confess to the priest. You could give away money to lots of charities and do the right thing, and hopefully somehow that will make you right with God. It would be like me telling you on a Sunday morning as you come, saying, how's your week been? So this week, to measure how you've been, make sure you've been to church every day. And if it's on a Sunday where we have the 9 a.m. service, 10.30 service, and the seventh, uh, the um, evening service with young adults, that means you're right with God if you go through all three services. It means that make sure you're reading your Bible every day. If you're not, you're maybe not right with God. It's like this idea of adding something to the gospel. And by that time, there was this idea that somehow that's how God would impart forgiveness as you do these things. It was not about faith alone. And then comes God in his mercy saves a guy like Martin Luther. And we've talked about Martin Luther was not a saint. He had some plenty, plenty of issues. But he was confronted by the gospel. One of the books that actually shaped that for him was the book of Romans. And he was confronted by this statement. It's up here on the screen. He was studying Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Oh my goodness, I wrote that nice and big for you, didn't I? See if you can hear what he says. So he's been studying Romans chapter 1, and verse 17 confronts him. At last, as I meditated day and night on the relation of the words... The righteousness of God is revealed in it. As it is written, the righteous person shall live by faith. So Martin Luther sees the same words we just read in Galatians and Romans. I began to understand the righteousness of God. As thy be by which the righteous person lives by the gift of God. And this sentence, the righteousness of God is revealed to refer to a passive righteousness by which the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, the righteous person lives by faith. This is my favorite bit of the quote. 
This immediately made me feel as though I had been born again, as though I had entered through open gates into paradise itself. From that moment, I saw the whole face of Scripture in a new light. And now, where I had once hated the phrase, the righteousness of God, so you can just imagine, he's a man who's constantly feeling he's not right with God. He's not meeting that standard, and he's confronted the righteous person shall live by faith. And God changes him, and he says, I began to love and extol it as the sweetest of phrases, so that this passage in Paul became the very gate of paradise to me. So in that moment, Martin Luther is confronted just by what we've just read in Galatians, by faith alone. He's reading and studying Romans, and all of a sudden it completely shifts and changes his world. He understands now there's only one way to stand before a holy God. And to him, this doctrine of faith alone shaped all of his life, I think. Here's another quote where he talks about the summary of all Christian doctrine. This is talking about faith alone. And the article by which the church stands or falls. He's saying that if you take this away from the Christian faith, that's Nat Clark who's going to be leading worship next week. If you take this idea of faith alone from the Christian faith, there is no Christian faith. We're no different than any other religion then. This is the picture that Martin Luther gives. And then from him and others, many have fought and some even died for that cause. For those who are putting their faith and trust in Jesus, there's a God who accepts them now, not because of their own work, but because of Jesus' righteousness. And that's what we see in the book of Galatians. It's this picture where they, there's a biblical term called imputed. It's like saying it's a legal term. It's like it's been given over to you. The best thing I can say, it's like if you can just imagine Jesus grabs your arm and he puts an ivy drip in and part of that's coming into your life and soul, it's his holiness, his blood, his righteousness is being fused into your life. Now you're considered holy and right with a holy God. But it does mean there is a now and not yet picture that we do fight sin. We do say no to sin. But yet, the holy God doesn't hold it against us because he sees his son in us. This is where Luther often would talk about the sweet exchange. And for him, he constantly would go back and he would use language that he would constantly preach it to himself. He would hold this as a sweet exchange, remind him that he would cling on to him, cling on to Jesus and what Jesus has done, and cling on to these promises. Often you've heard me say, it's like you and I marinating and seeping into the soul of these truths of faith alone. Knowing that the Holy God accepts us because of his Son. This is the sweet history of faith alone. And those of you, I don't know all of you here, there are some of you here who might be exploring the Christian faith, have never given your life to Jesus, whether you might realize this or not, you may be thinking to yourself that somehow doing certain things, being a good person, not being a bad person, um, giving away money, you might recycle all those things you might do, which are fine, good things, that does not make you right with a holy God. There is only someone who can make you right with a holy God. His name is Jesus. 
We would love for you to explore that with us. Maybe talk to the person who bought you this morning. And there are some of us here, you gave your life to Jesus at some point. You believed in who he is. But there's this air of guilt and weight on your life. You look in the mirror and you condemn yourself. You yell accusations at yourself. Oh, friends, turn back to the one who has died in your place. Because of his grace, this idea of faith alone is a reminder that you have a faithful saviour who's done it for you. And when you gave your life in faith to him, he gave you his life into you. Now you've been crucified with him. Now that the creator of the universe, when he sees you, he sees his son in you. He sees you as his child, not his enemy. He sees you, not 99.9% with little asterisks. He sees you 100% as his son, his daughter. This is what Martin Luther called the sweet exchange. That means you are accepted, justified. So in those moments when you feel, whether if it's in your own flesh or the enemy himself or the world accusing you, Remember, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. You can actually turn to the accuser to tell him to shut up in Jesus' name. Because God, the creator of the universe, does not see you guilty because of his Son in you. All by faith alone. And there are some of us, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you believe in faith alone, theologically, in your head. But if you look at your own life right now, there may be things that you've added to make you think in doing those things is what makes you accepted by a holy God. There might be secondary doctrines that you're convinced of and you believe that everyone else should believe that. And you think that somehow is how you will get acceptance by a holy God. You may be thinking that coming to church is somehow making you right with a holy God. This past week, as you know, I've been meeting with someone who, reading through the Gospel of Luke. And once again, we met this week, and we came up to the passage in Luke where there's the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector is, you know, he's, he's just in shame and he's crying and, you know, he's praying to God. And then there's the Pharisee who talks about all the things he's done. And, and the language is that he's adding to what was required of him to say, somehow, this is what makes him right with God. And Jesus' words are quite pointed. He says, which one do you think walked away more justified? And I was talking to this man. I said, oh, you know, what do you think about the story? And we were talking about it. And he said, and he looked at me and said, you know what? I'm the Pharisee. And I wish I could tell you as a pastor, I was sitting there going, you know, same, me too. You know what I did? I'm like, yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this point where I believe it's the Holy Spirit saying, you're the Pharisee. It's faith alone. It's Christ alone. 
Did you know that voting yes or no does not make you right with a holy God? Friends, if there are some of you that has a bit of a twitch when you hear about a holy God accepting you, you need to ask and drill a bit deeper why. Because there are things that you're adding. Because don't add to the gospel. I'm crying out to you to stop adding to the gospel. Because Christ said it is finished. Christ said it is finished. Christ alone, his work has done that. That means we're accepted because of Christ's righteousness by faith alone. And there are some of us who will twinge and go, well, that means people are just going to go do whatever they want. No, because see, if you embrace these truths, faith alone does not give you an excuse to live life however you wish. It calls you to a particular life. It should actually cause us to live a compelling, radically out there life for Jesus and his cause. That's what should be going on in our hearts. Because we've been affirmed by the creator of the universe. So even if the world rejects us, just as the world rejected our saviour, we know that the creator of the universe affirms us. It does not give us excuse to sin more, but it actually causes us to call out and live for Christ in this world. You would have seen all the news footage about the marriage plebiscite. On one hand, it was a very declarative way of our world and our nation and our city saying to God, we know what we think is the best way. You can nick off. And the rest of us might have been grieving, and I grieved for our nation and our city. Because there's a deeper thing going on there. They don't realize what this means. But on one hand, I also saw the interesting language that was coming, particularly for those who voted yes, particular ones who have been in the media often, including politicians. There were tears flowing from their eyes and hugging, and, and they were just crying. And when the interviewer would go up and ask, how do you feel about this? They would say things like, I finally feel accepted. I finally feel accepted. Friends, I think that is a deeper conversation going on in their hearts. Deep down, they think that their good work for whatever campaign that they went for somehow will somehow make them feel accepted finally by a nation. But not until they realize there's only one person they need to be accepted by, the creator of the universe. And that will not happen until they're confronted by this wonderful truth of the gospel. It's not actually marriage equality alone that will make them right with a holy God. This means you and I have been chosen by a sovereign God to live in this world in this time in history. We can't run to the fringes. We're called to engage for the sake of Christ. See, when you and I rest in Christ's work, and we rest in faith alone, and that we're accepted by a holy God, Day by day, we will, with God's help through the Holy Spirit, learn to grow in hating sin and looking to love and serve others. And that means things like going to church and reading the Bible and all these things that we talk about are good disciplines, are driven out of a love for Jesus. Not thinking that somehow that makes us right with a holy God. This is the truth of faith alone. This is the truth of the gospel. 
in a place called Geneva in Switzerland. They have what's called a Reformation Wall. And they have these big men, kind of you know, statues, they're all blokes. And somewhere in a little corner, there's a little wall. There's a woman by the name of Marie Dent- Denterere. I don't know how to say her name, so please forgive me. She's the only woman on that wall in what's called the Reformation Wall. She was a woman who was quite significant in that time, particularly in Geneva with Calvin. She actually wrote the preface to Calvin's sermons. She first was a nun. She was confronted by the truths of the Reformation. And then she responded, and she was quite um, active. If you read about her little testimony, it's quite amazing. This is what she said, that she was confronted by the Reformation and the truth of the gospel. I lived for a long time in the shadow of hypocrisy. So she's talking about her life as a nun and all those good things in piety she thought she was doing good. But God alone made me see my state. I came to the true light of true faith. For her, she knew that it's only faith alone. It's not her workings and her piety that would somehow make her right with the Holy God. And that does not change for you and I today. So if you don't know Jesus, my call out to you today is that there's only one way that you can be accepted, that is through faith alone in the Savior who's done the work for you. If you know him and you are feeling constant condemnation, whether if it's from yourself, the flesh, or the enemy, please rest in these truths that Christ has accepted you. God of the universe accepted you because of his son's work through faith alone. And if you've added to the gospel, return to the Savior who has accepted you because of grace and faith alone and rest in that. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. As we sing the last song, church, let's sing in celebration to our Savior. And before they play, let me pray for us. Father God, who are we? Who are we but created beings? Yet you in your mercy, for those of us who have faith in you, have made us your son, your daughters. Oh, what a wonder to ponder that you are 100% for us because of your son's faithfulness, we are justified. For there are some of us today that need that reminder. Holy Spirit, please affirm us. For those of us who have slipped into being justified by what we do for you, help us to let go of our own man-made righteousness and help us embrace Christ and his faithfulness and faith alone. This is the solution, Lord God, to the problem in our world. And then this week, Lord, we as a nation have said yes to our own righteousness and justification. Have mercy on us. Lord, send us out with this joyous message that this yes world needs to hear. Help us to be humble. That is only through faith alone. So as we continue to sing this song, may we continue to sing, please build our lives on your solid affirming rock, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have faith alone. Amen.